At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. So I want you to picture this scene. Since I got some kids, we're going to do like a imagine with me. So imagine you're in Michigan, right? I'm at, girls, you got that? You're in Michigan. And imagine it's kind of snowy. Not a lot snowy, but a little snowy like last week, right? Last week. Do you remember? Like it snowed a little bit last week. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And so imagine you went to church like last week, right? So I went to church last week. And then imagine you go to lunch with friends, kind of like last week. So I'm basically talking about last week, right? So last week, we went to lunch with some friends, and then we did some stuff. And then finally, we were like, we're going to be on the way home. And that's when, as I started to drive home, the car starts to make noises at me. That's never good on a snowy day in Michigan when your car's making noises at you. And I looked down to see why is it making noise. And it said, your right rear tire has a tire pressure of zero, that means your tire's flat. Like, and, and so I thought, I'm not worried. I have roadside assistance, y'all. That's why I pay extra on my insurance. I want roadside assistance. So I call up my roadside assistance people. I'm so excited because they're going to come change my tire for me, right? And they said, you know, it's snowing in Michigan. And there's a lot of people with some car stuff. We'll be right there in two hours. We'll be right there. And I'm sitting there going... Well, that's dumb. I'm not sitting here for two hours, you know. And so I'm like, I know where the jack is. I know where the spare tire. Roll up my sleeves. I can do this, you know. And so I get out. Another couple of little. And then the bottom of the jack kicks out in the ice and snow. And the whole car goes kaboom real fast. And I'm like, that's dangerous. Like, that's real dangerous. That's scary. And I'm like, okay, I can't feel my fingers. I got my fingers in my coat. And I'm trying to warm up because I'm freezing to death at this point. And Amy's like, do you need to get in the car? And I'm like, we can't get in the car. We got the jack, you know, so I'm going back to work, right? And I tried to make sure, I couldn't feel anything, but I'm trying to make sure it's seated just right. And I'm going, same thing happened again. Like it's just that little ice thing, it kicks out, the whole car uh, falls. And that's when there's this car driving by and they get real, and I see these faces kind of turn and do this. And then the car turns around. I'm like, oh, someone's going to save my life. And George and Lisa pull up and the window goes, down they go pastor billy is that you and i'm like yes you know and so they pull over and i'm telling you talk about full of kindness george laying on the snow like laying down to make sure he can see under and get everything perfectly seated and he's turning 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 but he's laying in the snow right there's no good so lisa's like i want to turn and she takes her blanket and lays out so she doesn't have to lay in the snow she lays out a blanket in the snow and she starts turning i'm like would you st- i can turn it and she's like no i'm gonna turn and so she is not gonna be denied she's turning i get the spare on get the lug nuts on we get on down the road not before we get this final picture i gotta tell you i am um I am so thankful for kind hearts. Church, I am think I just want you to know this, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I am so blown away that I get to do ministry with you. I am, because you are the kind of people that when I tell you about the mission trip coming up to Ecuador in September, you're quick to pray. 
and quick to say, how can I be involved? When I tell you about the need to take care of orphans and widows and adoptions and, and fostering, you're quick to respond. Whenever you see this call, not just to hear the word, but be doers of the word, you're quick to roll up your sleeves and to say, let's do this together. Let's live out our faith together, which is what this whole sermon series is about. Take your Bibles. Let's open up to James chapter 2 this morning. James chapter 2. Travis Jewell, last week, he's our chaplain with the U.S. Navy. He's actually assigned to the Coast Guard for the next few years. He preached last week on how a mature faith puts possessions in their proper place. Now remember who James is writing to. James is not like James and John, the sons of thunder. This is James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, who is an elder at the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had scattered, right? They had dispersed all throughout the area. So they're refugees. At one point, they had houses. At one point, they had finances. At one point, they had stuff. But they've gone on the run. And yet James is saying, your life is not about the possessions. Your life is not about your stuff. It's about something so much more than that. But again, remember, he's writing to refugees. Today, we're going to tackle the same sort of thinking, but he's going to shift the focus just a little bit. So the people he's writing to would not have gathered in rooms like this, right? They're, they're refugees. They didn't get to do this anymore. In fact, they probably would have been in what we would call a life group. That's where they would have been gathered. So picture that life group. Picture someone walking in and all of a sudden they got on fancy clothes and they got on the gold and they got on everything else. This brings us to our big idea. Our big idea is that mature faith sees the soul through the shell. A mature faith is going to see the soul through the shell. So let's not think about refugee status. Let's think about here today. Imagine this morning... You're walking to your car and you see a Lambo pull in, right? You see that Lamborghini and you're going, who would drive a Lamborghini in the middle of winter? Like, that's craziness. But you're watching just to see like who, right? Because you want to know, who is it? Like, who, I don't know, who, who's driving that car? And they pull in their parking spot and the doors, you know, whoosh, they do that thing, you know. And then they, they get out of the car and they're wearing all their fancy stuff and their fancy sunglasses like people do who drive Lamborghinis, you know. They're doing that. I just want you to think about your reaction to that person. I haven't told you a thing about them besides they drive an expensive car. And yet already you're probably thinking, well, I, I want a picture with them. Right? I, I want to get up close to them. I want to know who they are. Why would you want to know who they are? Why is that? Why would you want, not want to know every single other person in here, but that person's the one? See, I think we struggle with this. We struggle with this not just 2,000 years ago. I think we still struggle with this today. And it's not just for those of us who are adults. In school, it's the person who's the all-state baseball player, right? We want to get close to that person. It's the person who academically, they're, they're just a juggernaut academically. It's the person who you know they got the swimming pool at home, right? So come summertime, you want to be friends with that person. A lot of times we want to be friends with other people. We want to get close to other people because of what they can do for us. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to start out by seeing in chapter 2 this description from James of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's right where he's going to start. What James is going to do, James is going to encourage us, stop fixing your eyes on everybody else. Fix your eyes on the Lord. 
We want because when you fix your eyes on the Lord and who he is, the king of glory, when you get that perspective, it then will help you to better see all other people when you see Jesus for who he truly is. So the first thing we're going to see is we should measure people by what they can give you. Let's look, James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. James, writing to the refugees, says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you you stand over there or sit down on my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, beloved brothers, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So James is telling the church, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. And he says, don't measure people based on what they, you think that they can give to you. He says that God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith. Look at that, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. This is big. God has chosen those who have nothing to inherit eternal life. Guys, that, that's us. As much as sometimes you want to think, well, I've got this education, or I've got this experience, or I've got this job, or I live in this neighborhood, before a holy and an awesome God, We don't have anything we can offer him, do we? He owns everything. He's created all. We have nothing we can bring. We are destitute before a holy and an awesome God. And yet, through Jesus, you and I get to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Through Jesus, we get to inherit eternal life. Now, I went on my first overseas mission trip. I think I was about 24 years old when I went on my first one. I went to Malawi, Africa. And since that time... I remember that trip well. But since that time, I've been able to minister in a lot of different places. You know, I've ministered in the country and in the city, you know, in the suburbs, in the Midwest, in the South, in the, in the West, in the overseas, in the U.S., you know, literally all over the place. And sometimes, and I'm definitely not making any accusations against anyone in here, but sometimes what happens is we think when we're comfortable that we really know how to do this. Does that make sense? I like it. So sometimes I think the suburban church, it's kind of like us, right? I mean, this is great. I love this space, right? I love our, our, our love, our building. But sometimes I think what we think is because we've got the sound right and the musicians right. I mean, Kip this morning was with an almost all complete student band. Did you guys notice that? Yep. Most up here were teenagers and, and we were able to worship together like that. So I have the same thing. Sometimes what happens is we want to go to the urban church, a church in the city, and say, hey, we want to show you how to really do this. Again, I'm not accusing. I think just sometimes, I, I think sometimes that's what we do. Or we want to say we're going to go on this mission trip in September to Ecuador, and we're going to show you how to really do church. And I just want you to know that that's not true. All right, we learn from each other. In fact, I want to tell you, when we went to Ecuador two years ago, I was the one who was ministered to. Man, I was taught in a powerful way. There was a, a lot of work that we did. We did a lot of work with kids in the neighborhood doing like a vacation Bible school. We also uh, built onto this church that was there. 
And where I was incredibly blessed was by the pastor. You see, the pastor told his story one night. He told how uh, he had been doing just normal secular work, and the Lord had called him through an incredible series of events that I'll tell you sometime. Uh, But he ended up at Bible school and then being prepared for ministry and then feeling called to this community to start a church. And he said, you know, the way it works is you would show up to a community and you'd have this big pile of dirt delivered to where you're going to build the church, this huge pile of dirt. And you would go tell everyone in the community that a church is coming. And then everyone in the community, they kind of come in, they roll up their sleeves, and they help spread the dirt with you. You know, you get all the dirt spread, and then they're going to lay the foundation and build this building. And this is where tears start coming down his cheeks as he's telling the story. And he says, I told everyone no one showed up. So I grabbed a shovel and me and my family started to spread dirt one shovel load at a time. And he goes, we did it until it was late. And finally, he's like with tears just coming down, I got in my car and I had to turn on the lights so I could see. And I used my car, my own personal car, to push the dirt to try to get it level because I knew that they were going to come lay the foundation. Fast forward. All we did is we helped lay some block and mix some concrete and we put this top level onto this church building. And at the end of the week, we got to watch as he's standing there. It's just he and his wife. This was so cool. He's standing there, just he and his wife, and he's looking around at this building, and he's looking around at this community that they minister to. And I'm going to tell you, I was ministered in what it means to have a holy desperation for a people. I was so ministered in what it means to truly have a holy desperation for a people, of what it means to have a pastor's heart, of what it means to have the heart of a shepherd. I would say it like this. This pastor was rich. He was so rich in his faith. It ministered to me in an incredible way. So James points to the spiritual side, right, that the poor... The poor, we see this picture of rich in faith. But James is also going to point to the practical side, isn't he? Look what he says. He says, they're not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So imagine yourself, you're in a courtroom setting, but you have no finances, none. You're going to have those with the finances battling you in court and you're not going to stand a chance. And what was happening was the wealthy were the ones who were taking the poor to court. They were using the church as a tool for persecution. Now, we have some attorneys in this room who are part of the church, and they probably know a lot more about ancient law than I do, but here's some basics. In the ancient legal system, everything was stacked against the poor. Everything was stacked against the poor because you would have patrons. Now, what a patron would do is a patron would say, And a patron could work the same way in any field. Like they could say, I'm going to finance the the theater program. I'm going to finance the sports arena. I'm going to be the benefactor, right? I'm the patron of this. So the patron in the court systems would say, I'm taking care financially of the judges. I'm financially going to take care of the attorneys. You can imagine then there's actual legal ties for the patrons where they were taken care of if they ever went to court, right? So you also had a client. So you had a patron, You had judges, attorneys, and you had to have clients. Clients would be where if you decide someone has done something against me, I'm going to take them to court. You would then hire that attorney so you're a client. Well, the poor is on the outside of both of these. 
So the system was when the patron would decide, I'm going to take this poor person to court, the poor person didn't stand a chance. There was no justice there. This was not a system built off of justice. Let's go to what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are burdened, I'll give you rest. Not, not come to me those of you who are patrons, not come to me those of you who are clients, not come to me those of you who are born as, as Greek, not come to me those of you who are born as a Jew and not a Gentile, not come to me those of you who are, uh, work so hard that you've achieved this goal or that goal. He says, come to me all who are weary. Jesus has a system that says all of us before a holy God, we're all sinners. We're all in need of a savior, every single one of us. Now, he's not villainizing those who are successful. He doesn't say if, if you work and you achieve, if you have finances, that you're, you're a villain. You know, you're like Cruella DeVille. You're just everything about you is bad. That's not what he says. What he says is our faith should be in Christ and Christ alone. That's where our faith should be, not in showing an allegiance to certain groups of people because of what they can do for us. That's the point that he's going to. The second thing we're going to see, and the last, is that we should measure people by God's standards. We should measure people by God's standards. Let's look in verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law's transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James goes back and he says, hey, don't forget, we're talking about being partial because of the financial gain you could get. I understand, James says, that you are scattered all throughout the area, that you're just trying to live, that you're just trying to make it, but don't show partiality to another because of what they can do for you. That's not right. And then he starts to talk about this royal law or this law of liberty. He says, we have this law that all the judges have, but then there's this royal law. A royal law would be above all the other laws. That's what he's pointing to, which makes me think of what we read a couple weeks ago. Just a few weeks ago, we read, we read James chapter 1, verse 25. And it says this, it says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. You see, you already know how James is going to respond, don't you? If you've missed any of this series, James is the guy who says, I want you to have wisdom. Wisdom doesn't just mean that you know more. Wisdom doesn't just mean that you're more intelligent in what the Bible says. Wisdom means I'm applying what the Word of God teaches. I live out my faith. And so that's why you see at least half of everything he writes is all about here's what you should do. Here's your action. Here's how to apply it. That's what he's doing again. Remember Jesus was asked. Jesus of all the commands, was the greatest. Do you remember this? 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's how many there are, 613. Jesus of the 613 laws talked to us about the royal law. Which one is above all others? And you know what he said. 
Do you say, well, you need to love the Lord your God. You need to love your neighbor. Love God, love people. There it is. Isn't that incredible? Jesus took all 613 and he boiled it all down to those two. Love the Lord and love people. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about and what James is then re-emphasizing. James is saying this is not a system that's going to benefit just your, your high elite financial people over here or just your attorneys or judges or judges. This is not a group of humans coming together saying, let's take an unjust system and figure out the best way to make it just. James says, no, it's not any of that. This is the royal law which comes from the lawgiver himself. Isn't that beautiful? This is the royal law that comes from the lawgiver himself. Love your neighbor. I think where we get tripped up sometimes is we know what it is to kind of have one set of rules here and one set of rules here, right? We, we know what that feels like. Like 25 years ago, it feels so weird to say. 25 years ago, I was a school teacher. So I, I taught elementary school. I was teaching fourth grade at this time. Do I have any teachers in here? Retired teachers, current teachers? All right, we got some teachers. Do I have any students in here? Students, raise your hands. More students. Do I have anyone who used to be a student? All right, all of us. So we're all in. So you know what this feels like. So as a fourth grade teacher, I was early in my career at this point. I had a little bit of experience, but I'll never forget teaching fourth grade. There were these two boys, and um, they, had, they had, had a bit of a ruckus, right? They, they, they were fighting, y'all. These two, these two little boys, they were fighting. So I pull them apart, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Because, you know, teacher, you're kind of also referee sometimes. You're trying to figure out what's going on. Unless it's not a good day, then you're like, just go to the office. The administrators can deal with it, you know. But at this point, it's a good day. And so I'm talking to them. And so I asked child number A, why, why did you hit him? Like, what happened? And he starts the conversation of what happened like this. He goes, well, he called my mama. And I, nope, 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 nope. Time out. Because I didn't ask what that other child did. I said, we'll get to child B in just a moment. I'm asking you, what did you do? I don't want to know what he did. I'll ask him in a second what he did. What did you do? Well, I bopped him on the nose because he, and he starts to, he said my mama, and I had to call another time out. I don't want to hear about your mama. I'll ask him about your mama. I just want to know, what did you do? And finally, he figures out, like, I'm not going to let him say anything about the other guy. And he gets so frustrated, and he just takes a big breath, and he goes, I, I, I bopped him on the nose, Mr. Creech, because I got really mad and lost my temper. Yeah, all right, now we're getting somewhere, right? Now at least we're being honest with each other. So that part was, was fairly easy, working through, okay, you did this, this is, you can't do that, you can't go around bopping people because you get mad, and you can't go around talking about people's mamas, like that's not okay. And so we're working through it, and now that we have this down, now we can go to the administrator. Now, now we're, we're a little bit more on level playing ground. The problem, though, comes when you call mom and dad. Because one of two things is going to happen. Either mom and dad will say, oh, our rule is the same. There's no fighting at school. That's not acceptable. It's never acceptable. Or they're going to say, you know, we told them don't ever fight unless you say something about your mama. If you say something about your mama, it's rumble time. You know, it is time to throw down if you're going to talk about mama. Like, you don't ever let someone talk about your mama. And then it gets real mad. It can go in the positive direction too, though, can it? Like, uh, we... We know that all kids are going to be told in the summertime you need to read in the summer. Well, that's because there's a learning gap. 
which makes sense, right? If you go multiple months where you've been reading every day and doing math every day and doing all these things every day, and all of a sudden you go a couple of months where you don't read at all, well, there's going to become a gap in your learning. You're actually going to, reg- you're going to fall back a little bit in your learning. And so you want to encourage kids to read in the summer. Well, our kids, they didn't have a chance because even if I wasn't teaching anymore I had that background and Amy's like super teacher so she's creating charts and graphs that this is what we are going to do this summer and uh, we would I don't know if I should tell you this with kids in there but we'd bribe our kids like we would we would bribe them and we'd say like if you read you know this many hours or this many pages or whatever it was if you read and you get these little stickers on your chart the stickers work like kids love the stickers right if you get these little stars on your chart you're gonna get the brand, uh, the grand prize at the end well one year one year, Gabe wanted so bad to get him a guinea pig. Man, he won a guinea pig. And he won his pig. Man, it was like the swirly-haired kind, you know. And I got the little ball for the little pig to run around in. And the, I mean, he had the whole setup. And like day number one, Gabe reaches in there, and it munches him. Like, it just munched right in his finger. Gabe set the guinea pig right down, shut the cage. He's like, I'm out. I'm done with the guinea pig. And um, that guinea pig had the best of lives because we gave him to one of the little girls at church, and she loved him. She took him everywhere. He went on car rides. That was the happiest guinea pig you've ever seen. And, um, but Gabe was so out. Anyway, here's the point. The point is we know what it is to have like a set of rules at school and a set of rules at home. And what I'm telling you is the world has a set of rules that everyone – and it's always shifting, isn't it? It's always changing. The rules today of how we interact with people are not the same as the rules from 15, 20 years ago. They're they're not the same. But we go by the royal law, church. We go by a law that is so much higher than anything the world is ever going to throw at us. And what we see is the one who judges has judged this way. He has said that you and I have a calling, and that is to love our neighbor. With no prejudice, with not what they can give us, with no gain at all, because before the Lord, he has shown no partiality to us. We're all sinners. And even though we're all sinners, by his mercy, he's taken on the punishment. And then by his grace, he's adopted us as sons and daughters. And he loves us. And church, because he loves us, he'll lead us. And that drives us to this final piece of scripture in verse 13, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And it is so easy to hear that and it's so easy to live, isn't it? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Sometimes judgment is what we want to do, right? Because you see people in your family not doing what they ought to and it gets really hard, doesn't it? It's really frustrating because you see the destruction that comes. You see how by not doing things God's way, how it leads to hurt. Not doing things God's way is not going to lead to to love and life is going to lead to destruction. It's frustrating. And so we want to judge them and we want to tell them how it ought to be and, or, or the opposite. We see that successful person around us. Maybe it's at your workplace. Maybe it's at school. Man, we want to buddy right up to them because of what it can gain us. Regardless of who the person is, even if they're doing some things that are unethical, sometimes we want to get a little bit closer because of how it can benefit us. And James is encouraging us, don't fall into that trap. Because your life is not about the, the material. It's not about what you can gain. It's not about that. It's about seeing Christ glorified, the King of glory. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for inviting us to this place, Lord, for the freedom we have to worship you in spirit and in truth. 
Lord, I do want to pray for Pastor Igor right now in the church in the Ukraine. That as they gather, and no doubt there's, there's nerves that are high. I pray that you give them a peace that transcends understanding. That, Lord, there is a faith, a confident assurance of what is waiting up ahead. And that confident assurance is not in physically what we can gain or monetarily and what we can buy. But, Lord, our faith is in you, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Because I know I've got people right now who are struggling with, with judgment. Struggling with what it means to love our neighbor. Sometimes it's tough to love the people who are in our own home, those who are closest to us, let alone our neighbor that we don't have that kind of relationship with. So don't let us, because things are difficult, Lord, make excuses. Let us continue to encourage one another, to challenge one another in Christ-likeness, to live out our calling, to make much of the name of Jesus. Lord, as people see us, I pray they don't see us. They see through us, and they see you through us. That when we speak, we speak with the words of Christ. When we see people, we see with the mind of Christ. Not in a way that judges, not in a way that says, how can we be benefited? But Lord, we see ourselves as conduits of your grace. Lord, be glorified. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for gathering to lift high the name of Jesus today. Let's stand. I just want to encourage you as you stand and and we finish this last song, continue to reflect on everything you've heard from James this morning, this calling of what it means to love God and to love others. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today. 